Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Our text today is going to come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It is probably a text that is used often out of context, but we want to place it into context. First, we're going to read that and then unpack where it fits. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Let's all read verse 5, because this is the crux of this text. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let's pray together. May your spirit of God stand between me and your people so that whatever I proclaim, whatever we think together will be transformed into your word that guides our lives to follow Christ in whose name we've gathered, in whose name we pray, And in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Don't judge. It's sort of um, a mantra of our culture today. Who are you to make any judgment on me? Well, that's kind of a familiar phrase that often is woven in and is taken out and just sort of excerpted and said, well, Jesus said you shouldn't judge. Lots of things Jesus said in one sentence, but you need to put it in the whole context. In fact, you can take any verse out of context in the Bible and manipulate it to do whatever you want to do. I would suggest to you that if you look at Leviticus chapter 3, verse 16b, and when you do biblical research, A is through the first punctuation mark, B is the second punctuation mark. If you want to check me on this, there is a pew Bible in front of you, and you have your apps. But I would suggest that proof that I never have to worry about my A1C or my weight is Leviticus chapter 3, verse 16b. All fat is mine, saith the Lord. (laughs) Now that's just sort of playful, right? But it's taken out of context, and it really is a rather obscure text, isn't it? Well, that just doesn't make sense unless you put it in its context of the Levitical understanding of a nomadic people who were wandering around and the Levitical codes gave them great comfort because they didn't have to wonder what to do the Levitical code told them. It was good news actually for the Jewish community. 
to know what God expected of them. And so when we look at this text, we often have this feeling that this means that we should never be able to make a judgment at all or judge anyone. And I would suggest to you, many people often use this as a shield for sin, a barrier to keep others at bay, allowing them to justify in living as they please with no regard for any moral boundaries or accountability. After all, haven't you ever heard, what gives us the right to make moral judgments about somebody else? Isn't that God's job? You heard that? Well, when people break the law, they go before a what? And a judge makes a judgment. Or if you can want to make the appeal, you can be judged by a group of your peers, right? We make judgments all the time. Where this gets manipulated is in our narcissistic, self-serving, cultural-bent community where we want to do whatever we want and no one should be able to say anything about it. Theologically, that's hogwash. In community, we find the larger witness of Scripture were called to be a group of people who, in following Christ, are sanctified, set apart. God sets us apart. God calls us to live in a way that says, this is what it means when I commit to say, I am a follower of Christ. In fact, the early followers are mentioned in the book of Acts as followers of the way, a particular kind of way. I can remember being in Nocona, Texas, population 2,100. It's in Monte County, population 17,001, back in 1994. And I was at Finolio's Barbecue, and everybody in that town, when you went to a restaurant, knew exactly what you did, because the town wasn't that big, and they had the best barbecue in town. And we were sitting around the conversation, and a rather rough, rugged individual who was often at the table said, you know, preacher, I'd go to church, but just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And I just looked at him and said, you'd fit right in, bro. <laughs> and it spurned a playful conversation. And the playful conversation was literally, even then, to look at what does the word hypocrite mean. And this is the crux of the text that I had you read. Jesus is not against making judgments. What he's against is the hypocrisy that is displayed, that's echoed in his cousin John the Baptist's words of the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you have this measuring stick for others that you don't even apply to yourself. What is the word hypocrite? Well, the root of the word hypocrite actually means um, an actor or a stage player or a pretender. That's the root meaning. And this is what I think Jesus is really getting at when he says, don't be a pretender. Don't be, this is not just an act that you have. And that's really consistent with how we understand it because people will say, well, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You go to church on Sunday and act one way and then the rest of the week you act another way. And sometimes, friends, that stings and it's true. Our goal as followers of Christ is to say regardless of the calendar on the day of the week, The following of Christ is consistent. And what we proclaim in creed, in word, in faith on a Sunday morning becomes displayed Thursday when nobody else is around. 
How are we doing following Christ? Following in his footsteps. I try to read a, a vast um, group of authors. And occasionally when, when I'll quote a book, someone will wonder, is that in my repertoire? Well, I actually get summaries of books. I don't read every one of these books, but in reading several years ago, a summary of Alan Wolf's book, One Nation After All, there's some questionable kind of leanings and posturing that it has politically, but I find it fascinating that while he is uh, tending a little bit towards a more cultural aspect, he asks questions of, in 1999, questions of the United States, and he makes this statement, America has added an 11th commandment and it has become her favorite commandment. In fact, America loves this commandment so much she would have no problem putting this commandment up in every schoolroom, courthouse, and city hall. And what is that commandment? Thou shalt not judge. And, and while Wolf has a tendency to have a more secularist, humanist view, I find it fascinating that that's his assessment, that we, we have this idea in culture that nobody can make a judgment anywhere. But this word for judge in the Greek has a particular meaning. And that word for judge is krino, and it means to condemn someone in a self-righteous, censorious fashion. So let's go back to Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? You'll find that in Mark chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 16, right? And there's that volley in conversation. And Jesus says, who does the world say that I am? Then who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus goes on to tell Peter what's going to happen. There was a pretty judgmental moment when Jesus says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We're just previous verses. Jesus has said, Blessed are to you, Simon Peter, for this has been revealed to you by God, not by others, not by human form. You see, Jesus is making judgments. So where does this text fit? Now, I know that you're good biblical scholars, and you know that whenever you see something from Matthew chapter 5, 6, or 7, immediately you know to put that in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. That's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if you read carefully the Sermon on the Mount, you will see a constant display of tension and contrast between a value of the world and a godly kingdom kind of value. And this is squarely in that context. You see, as people in the kingdom of God, life is to be lived differently. Jesus is not suggesting that we have no right to make moral judgments about any human behavior. He certainly is not suggesting that the, there's no mutual accountability or there should be no way to hold anybody accountable. What he's addressing is the fact that too often, even with our own culture, as we see, I suggest displayed most clearly within the political environment that we tend to baptize behaviors in ourselves that we find offensive and reprehensible in others. Friends, if there's ever a time that we need to lean into being able to know what it means to be distinctive as a people called from God, to be able to make judgments without condemning others, our country's going to need the voice of the church to return civility to conversation. Or if that doesn't work, 
I'll offend everybody in this room, and I'll tell you, turn off MSNBC, CNN, and Fox, and Newsmax all together, okay? Just, that should get everybody in the room, okay? Is everybody equally offended now? All right? But folks, our media culture needs us to be pitted against each other. And it's driven on the sensational aspect of having this borderline hate each other because that's how advertising sells. And we're about to move into this rhythm in the United States that we go through. It's already started every four years and it's going to get ugly, ugly, ugly. And you and I will have a choice. We get sucked into it or we rise above it. Let's rise above it. Right, let's rise above it. Let's be a people who step forward, who have conversation, but realize we have to make judgments, but we don't need to tip into condemning others who think differently than we do. Jesus is explicitly rebuking the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were quick to see the sins of others, but they were blind and unwilling to hold themselves to that same standard that they were imposing on others. You see, the human nature and tendency is to look at others' faults because it makes us feel better about our own shortcomings. Or, as I like to say, we have a tendency to point out the faults of others as stepping stones in our own path of self-righteousness. We need a mirror. We need a mirror to hold up before ourselves. And we need to recognize that we are called to make those judgments in this world. But we're also called to be people of grace. And that is not an either or, it's a both and. For you can both make a judgment and love someone. Just because you disagree doesn't mean you hate and condemn. And this is another thing that our culture has lost. The art in our world does not know how to do. How to see or look differently. But how to be people who walk along the way that follows the path to Christ. Friends, if there's nothing distinctive in the kingdom and following Christ, then there really is no reason for us to continue gathering on Sunday morning. But I suspect in some way you and I both know that when in a moment we move to this liturgy of the great thanksgiving, we'll talk about the ways in which our lives have fallen short, that we've not fully followed where Christ leads. And every one of us knows in some way there is an unfulfilled aspect of our walk with Christ. Every one of us has fallen short. Paul says that clearly. And yet we all come to this same table. Why? Because the same grace of God abounds for you and for me. This is the way the liturgy speaks. And, and I want to help us remember, when we move through the confession, please notice carefully within the text what we celebrate that we were all in this together. Stacy and I may be in robes today. However, we are part of the body of Christ with you. Our Wesleyan Methodist theology understands ministry as being the general ministry of all who have been baptized and professed their faith in Christ. We are a part of that. And then there's also a representative ministry, those who are called and set apart for a specific task. That's the pastoral ministry. But when it comes to the confession, notice it is not a mistake. It is not an accident. It is intentional to remind us all we are in this together. 
that when the invitation for confession comes, I will say, breaking the silence, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And it says the people, we speak the words of forgiveness to each other and to the one who is celebrating as a way of saying, we celebrate forgiveness and we speak it for each other. And then we all say together, glory to God. Amen. If you don't do that right, we're going to do it twice this morning. Okay? <laughs> it's significant. It's not just a pale, boring aspect of liturgy. It is the liturgical call to revival to be God's people in this world. And to know that that calls us to be distinctive and calls us to be followers of the one who said, I loved you to life by loving you to death. So we come to this moment. And we remember these words. Christ our Lord invites to this table all who love him. All who repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Is that you? Do you really repent? Do you really seek to live in peace with one another? And if you do, then draw near in faith and let us together as community confess our shortcomings and pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to a moment of silent confession and prayer. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Christ. You are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Amen.